Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Today in the StoryCraft Cafe, we have fantasy legend R.A. Salvatore joining us once again to talk all about writing fantasy, creating characters that have spanned readers' lifetimes, what's to come, what is happening to these characters, that these legacy characters, how, as a writer, do you continue to challenge yourself? All kinds of great stuff. We took some great questions from the audience live because we host these author interviews live over on YouTube, and you can find out all about them at StoryCraft.com. Cafe, where you can tune in live as we do these and you can ask your own questions and be a part of the conversation. Thanks, as always, to Dabble for making this podcast possible and for developing what we believe is the very best in writing software. If you've got a story to tell, Dabble can help you do it. Hang on. We're going to get right over to our interview with R.A. Salvatore. And we are live here in the StoryCraft Cafe today. I'm super excited uh, to have what has become uh, kind of a a yearly uh, standing uh, date that we have with Bob Salvatore to talk about his brand new book and all things writing fantasy. Loth's Warrior, The Way of the Drow, book three, drops today, and we're so fortunate to have Bob Salvatore here with us. Welcome back to the show, Bob. Good to be back, Hank. It is yearly a yearly visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we we have uh, met each year when the uh, the Way of the Drow books uh, have come out, and what a fun time this has been uh, with this series of books. You know, for for a character that is is as long lived as Drizzt has been, uh, and this whole cast of characters that you've created. Um, how are you still feeling about? about old Drizzt and and everything that you've created gosh 40 how many years this is the 35th year anniversary of Drizzt but it's really I the first book was written the year before it came out so it's 36 years ago when he came up how am I still feeling I don't know it's uh it's still surreal that anyone reading my books but it's been a lot of fun and it's been a great journey and you know, no complaints by, here. By my count, we're coming up on 50 books that you've written and published. More is than that. Is it a fair? Yeah, is it? I've got 39 drits, not counting the short story collection, uh, the, the anthology, five cleric books, uh, three Stone of Tomorrow books, which are still, they should be part of the Dritz series, but they don't count them that way. Wizards doesn't. I do. So what's that? That's uh, 48. And then I've got like 7, 11, 14, 14 Demon War books with three coming. So 
and two Star Wars books, uh, the Spear Wilder's Tales, the uh, Wait, Crimson Shadow <laughs> trilogy, the Echoes of the Fourth Magic in SIL trilogy. So, yeah, did I've got. Say, did you just say more Demon Wars coming? Yes, yes, a whole bunch more. We've got next year, what's happening is all of the original seven are being re released. I think yeah. a trade paperback from Saga. Um, we're also, I'm also going to be doing Kickstarters for the first three, at least, but probably the first seven, but we're only doing, we're doing a couple, see how they go for really high end edition hardcovers. Yeah. Um, you know, the really nice leather bound with the, with the built in bookmark and the, the gold oh, leaf nice. and all that and interior art type of thing, uh, doing Kickstarters for three of those with a different company. And I'm also doing a new series, uh, Pirates. Uh, it's called Demon Wars Buccaneers. And it's following <laughs> up on the Coven trilogy. Uh, yeah, first two books are already written. The first one's edited and ready to go. And that will be out in April. Nice, nice. Um, yeah. You know, speaking of Demon Wars, I, I was, uh, I've been kind of reading through some of your back catalog and, um, the demon wars are are very unique, especially for people that are so um, kind of steeped in the drizzt uh, uh, kind of lore. What what did that series um, do for you creatively to to kind of you know get to switch gears, tackle yeah. new characters, and and was there kind of an overarching theme that you were trying to explore with those books? Yeah, the demon wars series really allowed me to do a few things. First, I got to create my own world. So I got to make my own magic system based on gemstones. I always wanted to do that. I, I got to do, um, you know, the, the entire societal structures like the Abelican church and the different kingdoms. And I got to tell a bigger story than I could tell in the forgotten realms in terms of, you know, like a world spanning events, if you will. And demon wars has always been an exploration of hypocrisy Power, corruption. Um, you know, the Abelican Church is the conflict. It, the Abelican Church, really, the, the inspiration for that was in Brother Echo's Name of the Rose. Right. Where he talks about the Catholic Church and the schism in the Catholic Church between, you know, one, you have these sects that thought that, people, that the priests should all be poor and the, they should share everything with the peasants. And then these other ones say, no, we have to keep all the money and build these soaring cathedrals to show the glory of God and all this. And the big fight in, within that church in Demon Wars, they have the same kind of fight, but it's with gemstone magic because they control the magic uh, in the world. And it's it really is much more a basis on kind of stripping away the layers of baloney that kind of keep us all in the, in the days and just accepting that that's the way things are because they're not sure. the way things should be. So I think I was able to, without having to be part of a shared world, um, without having to have like the gods and the magic system defined for me with having the ability to blow up a city, if I wanted to, I can't right. do that in the realms unless you know, I get permission from 83 different people or whatever. <laughs> it just allowed me to really play with some ideas. And it's much more mature, I think, themes front and center. The Dritz books have them as well. But with the Dritz books, you got to look for them. Right. To really see how this would pertain beyond because the Dritz books, you know, they're faster paced, they're smaller in size uh, and in scope for that matter. 
so you know, I'm very, I'm very happy and proud of the Demon War books. It, 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 I think it's, I think they're some of the best things I've ever written. You know, one of the great things about fantasy literature is the ability to look at real world situations and uh, kind of work through them uh, through different characters, see how they would approach um, without being so on the nose and so literal. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the, um, um, the, the parable aspect almost um, that you get to explore things without them necessarily being real, but you can explore real circumstances through fictional characters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and when you talk about the themes that are behind the demon war saga specifically, because we just talked about that, are those things that you have in mind before you write it or are you one of those authors that that you write it and then look back and see that the themes were coming through, you know, the, just things you were wrestling with? A little, in your both. Own mind? A, a yeah. little of both. I mean, the Dritz essays are probably the perfect example of things I find I'm wrestling with in my own mind. And those happen organically through the course of each book. Yeah. Almost without exception. Uh, with Demon Wars, I knew I wanted to explore uh, organized religion, in essence, at least, you know, the, the one I grew up with um, and the good and the bad of and the good and the bad of the people within it, if you will. Sure. Um, so there's there's a lot of that um, that goes into just it's not like you're plotting. I don't plot the book out in any detail, and I usually stray <laughs> way off my outlines anyway. I'm a complete pantser when I'm writing. I just, I just let the story take me and the characters take me in directions. I never expected. I'm all, I'm okay with that. Yeah. But I do have ideas that I want to have in the books. Like when I wrote the Dritz books, I didn't go into it initially thinking I was going to be writing about racism. I didn't. When Dritz was a dark elf, initially I thought it was because he was cool. I, this yeah. would be cool to do this because nobody's done it. But as soon as I started writing the book, I realized I could explore so much more with this character. My own questions about it as someone who didn't have a lot of experience with it from the other side of it. So um, it's the books take you on a journey if you're an author and, it, and it's, it's how you make sense of the world. So with Demon Wars, I knew I wanted to explore the church. I wanted to explore um, the whole concept of whether... I mean, the big question they keep asking in the original series of Demon Wars, are there demons, the cause of evil, these physical manifestations, embodiments of evil? Are they the cause of evil in the world or are they the result of the evil that resides within the hearts of people that creates these monsters? Right. <clears throat> and that's what the first trilogy in particular was all about. Um, you have, uh, you have been a, a tabletop game player, um, for a long time and, yeah. and has, uh, famously kind of played into a lot of your stories. Do, do you, um, play your books? Um, do, no. do any of the, your, the tabletop games that you play factor into the worlds that you create? Not really. I mean, every now and then something will happen in the game. That's just so much fun. I got to find a way to put it in the book. Um, but not really. Uh, yeah. 
I try to keep them separate. Although we just did a stars without numbers game, stars without number um, game. And that's a very, it's not a very detailed type of game where you have to keep referring to tables to solve everything. It's much more, you got to be an agile player and an agile GM. I mean, Gino was GMing it and did an amazing job coming up with the stories that he was leading us through. And about half, it was like a 12 week campaign, maybe, maybe, maybe three months, maybe four months. I don't know. And Gino said, you know, if I, if I wasn't starting law school, I'd write a novel based on this campaign <laughs> and it would have worked because it, the game just played out perfectly for a storyline. Um, so maybe he'll do that someday. Awesome. But no, I don't, I don't generally do that. Gotcha. My Although I will son. say, I have a yeah. couple of things I want to do now um, going forward. If I do go forward, there's a couple of things that I explored in the game that will be coming into the next big character I do. Interesting. Interesting. Um, my oldest son, Ian, uh, has a, uh, a D&D group and they're they're playing through Curse of Strahd uh, oh, right yeah. now. Yeah. What what advice would you have for uh, a young gamer group? Uh, who was, uh, do, you know, do, do you find that, that being a writer, that, that your creative side is fed by the cooperative gameplay sure. of, of a, a tabletop game like this? And, and what, being a longtime gamer, what advice would you give to young gamers that were? I mean, when I started gaming, it, it was like 1980 when I started cooperative tabletop yeah. role-playing game before that it was just war games, Avalon Hill, risk Stratego, you know, chess. Um, but, um, that became my, I wasn't even thinking I was going to be a fantasy writer. I was in school for technical writing at that point. Um, but that became my creative output outlet being a DM or even playing a character and creating the story with the character was the way I got through you know, satisfying this need I had to be creative and use my imagination. So absolutely. It's an incredible enhancement um, to that process, to the creative process. If you're doing it right. I mean, you can also just be doing it min maxing and rolling dice and, you know, feeling good because you rolled a natural 20 or whatever. You know what I mean? You can do, there's a million different ways to do things, but if you're a creative person, then games like Dungeons and Dragons and, Stars Without Number, I got to mention, because it's fabulous space game. Um, you know, all of, there's so many systems that are really good. They, they'll help. They'll help you. They'll help. The, the ideas will gel when you're playing. Yeah. yeah. I've got some questions that are coming in. I'm going to throw them up here on the screen. Will Malice ever get brought back to life? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I, like I just told you, I'm, I'm a complete pantser. I'm not a plotter. Uh, I will tell you that Loth's Warrior is probably the last time you'll see me in Menzo Baranzan. Yeah. But I don't know if that's true either. Right now, that's what I'm thinking, that I'm done with that. Okay. Well, that that feeds directly into our next question from Samuel. Uh, are you going to write more Drizzt books? I don't know. Don't know? Uh, right now, I have nothing else under contract at all. Um, okay. I have a demon, one more Demon's War, Demon War book to write. Two are done. I have to write the third one. Um, I do have a short story that I'm writing for Dritz, uh, kind of a novella um, for Audible. Um, uh, probably, 
Do yeah. a couple more. But I don't know if it'll be drift centered at all, though. I don't know that I need to do that anymore. You say that now, but we'll. we'll I don't see. know. I, several <laughs> times during this whole run, I've thought it was over. Yeah. Like I thought it was over after the halflings gem because they wanted yeah. me to tie everything up and go on to something else. And then people wanted to know where Dritz came from. So we kept going. I thought it was over after passage to dawn. Cause I wasn't with TSR anymore. I'd had a, a very bad falling out with them. Yeah. And I went to Del Rey and started my demon wars books. I thought it was over after, um, I thought the last book was almost surely going to be Hero. Yeah. That series. Um, because that's when when I started when I was finishing up that book, I was up at Wizards and I expected to sign like my last big like 10 book contract with them and they said right. we're not gonna publish books anymore. So I said, Oh, that's the end of that. Yeah. Um and I was okay with it because I wrote that series. That series could have been the end and it would have been a good ending for the characters. Uh, Archmage, Maestro and Hero. Right. Um, actually, I thought it was over after the Ghost King <laughs> because fourth edition had made us go a hundred years ahead. So then I thought maybe I'd finish it up with Gontelgrim and that, but I did not expect to keep going after that because most of the characters were dead, right? hundred years has yeah. gone by. And then when I did Generations Trilogy, when, the, when they let me license Dritz and go to HarperCollins with it, uh, I wrote the Generations Trilogy as kind of like, we have to do this. We have to show the truth of the drow before it gets misconstrued, that it's not right. hereditary. They're not evil by birth. They're not just, you know, there's not something in them. They don't have an evil button. Yeah. They're just a society that's been trapped by this demon queen that's corrupted them over millennia. So we did the Generations trilogy for that. And then the logic, I, but I thought that was going to be the end of it. And then the logic, they, they said, well, no, let's keep going. And it's doing great. People still want to read it, which kind of surprised me that the response for that, how, how strong the response was for those three books after a couple of years of no drifts, but they, people still wanted it. So then I said, well, now I want to show a society of dark elves or of drow that are not that are not Lothian, that have no influence of the Spider Queen. So I wrote Starlight Enclave. I had wanted to do that for many, many years. I finally got the chance to do it. And uh, that trilogy, which is finishing up now with um, Loth's Warrior. But I don't speaking, know. <laughs> speaking of Loth, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, I haven't lately. played it yet. All my you friends haven't played, played it yet? I haven't had time. A- I've, I've, I've had... We went to California and stole one of my grand, my six-year-old grandson, brought him home for a few weeks. And we've been in the pool and going to ice cream and going to softball games and all the rest of it for the last like three weeks. I haven't had time to play it since it well, came that's, out. That's a better use of your time. Let's, let's all just agree with that. But, <laughs> you know, but my friend, my Gino's playing it, my son's playing it. And, um, nice. and um, one of the other guys in my Sunday gaming group is playing it. And they are just absolutely loving it. They're saying like, this is the best single player RPG uh, video uh, computer game they've ever played. Yeah. We like had a two, whole, and I'm hearing it from every fact, Joe who came up from Pennsylvania with a truckload of books from his e-signing at Ari Salvatore.com 
not the arisalvastore.com one. That's that's going on later today, where I got to sign all those books. So he came up with about 800, 800 books from Pennsylvania for me to sign. Nice. Uh, he's playing Baldur's Gate and says it's just fantastic. Just fantastic. Well, uh, a question came in. Since it's canon in Baldur's Gate 3, Drow who follow Loth all have red eyes. What does it mean for the Drizzt books? Nothing at all. Nothing? Okay. No, nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> They, they these things that are canon keep changing and they've changed right. all the way through the dreads books and i don't even pay attention to that stuff i'm writing the books that make the next logical sense for me and wizards lets me get away with it um i get so a lot of grief from some people because you break all the rules yeah damn right i do um <laughs> right. i that's kind well, of fun right? of that when you when you're dealing with a shared world like you are um there are rules and then there are rules that can be broken. Right. Are there any hard and fast rules that you won't come up against or, you know, is, well, I mean, I have to there, follow, I have to follow the basic magic system and boundaries that they have okay. in the game. Yeah. Right. I can't just willy nilly change things and I have to follow or I want to follow the events that are going on in the Forgotten Realms to some extent on the wider scale, because I don't want the books to diverge from like Baldur's Gate and, you know, um, Neverwinter and Demon Stone back in the day. I don't want it to diverge from all of those things that are going on. The, um, But I have one of my early editors at TSR, even before it was Wizards, said to me that, he considers the novel lines to be someone's campaign set in that world. And that's the way I've always looked at it. So, I mean, some of the things I'm just not going to get into, like I never used Elastre, the goddess of the good. I never used her because the Dritz wasn't going to that place in the story. So I didn't know anything about her. I didn't even pay attention to it because that wasn't going to be a part of my books at that time. Um, there were some other books written that used Adamus and Trary that I, they don't exist in my world. I never saw them. I was never consulted. Um, you know, so I don't, I'm not trying to be like snotty about it. I'm not trying to be like protect overly protective, but yeah. I have my goal and what I'm trying to accomplish. If a little few game rules go against that goal, that's not going to be a big deal. I don't try to go against it, but if if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. Has, has someone else ever done something in the world? Maybe it be gameplay, or maybe it be another novel, or whatever that that gave you the opportunity, kind of an aha moment. Oh, since you did this, this will allow me to do X, Y, or Z. Has that oh, ever sure. happened? Where? Oh, sure, Elaine Cunningham in in um, in her her. Marilyn Moonblade books um, change the way draw rep weapons work, for example, whether or not they're going to decay in the sun or whatever. She worked with the with TSR, coordinated all that and did all that. So, sure, I followed up on things like that. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. There's been there have been several that I haven't even read that because I know where they went and they're going in directions I don't want to go in. I won't mention them. Um, yeah. But it's irrelevant. I, I mean, I'm writing, I'm writing a story that's self-contained. I don't even know what percentage of my readers play Dungeons and Dragons. 
<laughs> but it's not a hundred percent. I can tell you that yeah. flat out. Yeah. Well, I, I've known a lot of people that that have were fantasy readers and then came to tabletop gaming or Dungeons and Dragons specifically way after the fact that. And the other thing now is, honestly, if you look at the people who are reading my books who are still playing Dungeons and Dragons, they're probably playing different editions. Sure. Or even if they're not their game, even if we're all on fifth edition, all on the same page of what D&D is. Are my games going to look very different than your game? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's always been the beauty of the game is the rules are more guidelines. Yeah. I mean, they, they got rid of Infravision. That completely changed a lot of things in my books. But I'm not going to go back and rewrite the books to get around when they had Infravision. It's a challenge. Right. Because it's a game world that's keeping up with the games. Yeah. Um, to kind of tag on to um, what you were saying earlier about um, how you uh, are a pantser and, you know, a lot of times themes show themselves at the end of the book, but sometimes you're thinking about something. Um, what is your thought process going into a new book? Do you have a rough end inside? Are you writing towards something? Um, and, you know, what is that? What? I guess uh, what I would like to know is what is your pre-writing process like? You know, it's different whether, for every book, and that's the yeah. problem. Because, like when I did Demon Wars, for example, my pre-writing was six months of creating a world with economies that made sense and a gemstone magic system that had boundaries that made sense. Like, who has the stones? How do you get the stones? Which stones are magical? Which stones aren't? What do they do? How powerful are they? How powerful are the people using them? Does it vary? All those questions had to be answered to some degree before I started writing The Demon Awakens. So my pre-writing of that was designing the Abelican Church structure, the gemstone structure, the, the Kingdom of Haunts structure, and putting, where's El Pinador? What does it mean to this world? And putting it all together. And then coming up with the monsters that were going to be in the world, the bad guys. What was the, what was the, what were we fighting against? In the new Demon War books, uh, the Coven changed everything because I was doing the Coven, which was sent a, set alongside the last book in the original seven Demon Wars books. But it was set right. in the West. It was set in a different part of the world that had not been. To, the people in the East didn't even know about it. They didn't know any, anything. It was completely unconnected. But they had magic, too. But their gemstone magic was different because of the way they accessed it and where they got what they were using than the gemstone magic in, the, in this and then we find out through that series that there's another civilization even further that has been blocked from coming across the world to, to start this like war of conquest for forever, as far as anyone alive knew. So the world just kept building on itself. And in each case with Demon Wars, I have to come up with a new society, right? They had to come up with a society of the plateau, the tribes around the lake and the tribe up on the mountain for the Coven series. I had to come up with the people in the West, the Jokanai, who are these golden skin. They have like mandrel markings on their face. They're like they worship the light. Beautiful people. Um, I had to come up with all of that and make it make sense. And now at the end of the Coven series inspired the Buccaneer series because I'm looking at the, the way that world is after the Coven series 
And I'm seeing a parallel to a really interesting time in our history on in the real world. Yeah. And I want to explore it in the Demon Wars world. So now I'm writing another trilogy. So all of that plays into it. In the Dritz books, it's a little different at this point because what I'm really trying to do in the Dritz books is seeing where each character is at and where they're going. So the characters kind of drive the next book all the way through. Um, you know, whether it's Spine of the World where I've got a resolved Wolfgar coming to terms with having been tortured in the abyss for years, right? And then falling into uh, an addiction problem. Or, or um, you know, uh, Gauntelgrim where I've got Bruner and Dritz trying to figure, you know, they've lost their friends. And Bruner has one more thing he wants to do before he dies. Uh, or the companions, which was, a, you know, I broke all the rules with the companions. You're not supposed to do what I did in the companions, but I made an exception because fourth edition really kind of messed up where I was going and I wanted to get back to where I was going, but before that hundred year jump. So the companions gave me a chance to do, to answer the old question of, of if I had to do it all over again, knowing what I know now, so I took each of the characters and I gave them a different way they would react to that situation. Like for Regis, he wouldn't be just a tag along anymore. He was going to be a hero this time, a real hero. And so here you have, you know, he's born with full consciousness in the body of a baby and he's trying to work his dexterity so he can be the best yeah. rogue ever. Um, and Caddy Bree is just trying to finish what she had started and fulfill her mission and Bruner is just doing it out of loyalty to Dritz, really. And then you have the other one other guy in there who lived to be 105, had kids, grandkids, great grandkids, went through the whole thing and and was lived his life fully and now has to come back. But now this time he's doing it all different. He's just a hedonist. He's, he's not looking for anything. He, I did it all their way, one way. Now I'm just going to have fun. And it was an amazing exploration for me. And I had a blast doing it. But then going forward from there, I was wrapping it up three times, three different ways. So I had to go by that, you know? Yeah. Bob, I know it's release day for you and you're crazy busy today, but do you have time for one more question? Sure. Okay. Um, I was talking with Terry Brooks uh, a while back and we I'm were sorry. talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, were talk we were talking about how fantasy, well, how book storytelling in general has evolved and changed over the decades and fantasy, especially we, we talked about his original sort of Shannara book and yep. how you're like 150 pages in before anything happens, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. now, you know, you would never publish a book where you have this, you know, so much setting and world building and, yeah. you know, all of the things that go into it before there's an inciting incident. Um, how do you as an author, because you've been publishing since the late eighties, um, early nineties, writing and publishing since the late eighties, early nineties. Now in 2023, um, you know, we, we have YouTube and we have Netflix and we have all the things that have altered people's attention spans and, yeah. uh, you know, all of this kind of thing. What does that mean for a fantasy writer like you? And how do you approach opening a story up and dropping someone right in? D do you, do you think about the people? Yeah, no, no, there's, there's, that's a really great question. There's a whole bunch of answers in different areas. Yeah. First, Terry's old school. 
Um, yeah. he's, 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 he's probably about 15 years older than I am and I'm not young anymore either, but <laughs> Terry's generation grew up very differently than my generation. I grew up with TV. Okay. Terry probably didn't grow up with TV the way I grew up with TV. Right. I'm talking about TV from the time I was a little kid. Yeah. TV um, is a babysitter. So you have, when I was in England doing, um, a tour with a couple of other authors, one of whom was Tom DeHaven. We were interviewing with BBC and they were asking us why our books were more popular than Tolkien. And at that time they were, this was before the Peter Jackson movies. Tolkien had this amazing run for 20 years, but you know, it kind of petered out a little bit for a while there until the movies came out and people started realizing the brilliance of Tolkien again, thank God. But they were asking us, why are your books more popular? And, and Tom said, and I'll never forget this. He said, because we grew up with television and our readers grew up with television. Tolkien was writing to an audience that didn't have television. So he has to create this big setting. But I look at it. And, and so that's the first thing. The second thing in fantasy is it was fresher. When Terry did Sword of Shannara, there was Terry and Tolkien and a couple of other Javants and a few others, but it really wasn't yeah. a fantasy genre. So think of it when Melville wrote Moby Dick, right? He's got 50 chapters just describing a whale. Right. You know, and the insides, of, because people couldn't put on the Discovery Channel and see a whale or they weren't mobile. They didn't get to the beach. They didn't go on them. They didn't have whale tours off every beach on the east and west coast and sure. of America and everywhere else around the world. So he had to describe the whale and Tolkien had to do that with a dragon and tell us what the dragon looks like. But now that that's become like in the collective consciousness. So if I say elf, you've got an image in your head. If I say dragon, you've got an image in your head. And my job, instead of describing the dragon's dimensions and color of its scales and all this other stuff and how many teeth it has, my job is just to, to tell you how the heroes feel when they're looking at a dragon, because you've already got that mental picture in your head. So I'm not going to repaint that picture for you too much. OK, so that's part of it. Yeah. Um, the other part of it is, yeah, people are busier now. And I think the actual way people communicate now has changed dramatically. Um, I think the younger people today coming up, um, in a way, they're more, way more sophisticated than my generation and they're way, way less sophisticated than my generation when it comes to reading. And sophisticated, I'm not using that as a pejorative or a compliment either way. Yeah. I'm just saying that I think people, well, I see someone texting and carrying on five conversations at the same time. Yeah, I could all with never do phone. that. I could <laughs> yeah. never do that. But by the same token, some of the original rules, you know, the English 101 rules, you've got to break them now a lot more than you used to. Because there's one that says uh, the road to hell is paved with adverbs, right? <laughs> so you shouldn't have to say he said sarcastically. If the dialogue is right, they should know it's sarcastic. No, not there. Now they won't because this is a generation that was raised with emojis. Emojis are adverbs, right? Before people never put JK or putting emojis at the end of their thing, message boards, they started flame wars. Remember the flame wars on oh, message yeah. boards? Oh yeah. So you have to use, you'll lose them. If you don't use adverbs, you're, you've got to use that because of the way people are reading now, the way younger people are reading now, they need that because they're going fast. They need that. 
The other thing is good dialogue doesn't need attrition. And I, for me, good dialogue doesn't need attrition. If you've given your characters voices and in the context of the story, I should understand the dialogue without you telling me he said, she said. And with audiobooks where the actors are working it out, you really wish you could do that. Because I don't want like Victor Bavine doing dritz and saying, he said, and then doing Caddy Bree and saying Caddy Bree said, because he's doing right. Caddy Bree's voice. They'll know she said. But we're talking about an entire generation now plus who have been raised on the internet. And everything on the internet is attributed. If you go to a message board, you know who posted the message. The name or the moniker is there. Right. Right. So what I have found, and I found out the hard way, if I've got three people talking and I'm not attributing the dialogue a lot, I lose people completely. Younger people. You see? Yes. You got to be aware of these things. That, and something you I've keep never adapting if you want to keep bringing people into your writing. Wow. That, that is amazing. I, I, I have never pondered it like that. You, you have given me much to stew on. So thank you for that. And the third thing of course, is the fact that like movies have changed and movies are probably the movies and TV are the primary form of entertainment communication. We have more than books, way bigger in scope than books. Movies have changed. I mean, you go back and you watch a movie like Kramer versus Kramer, for example, or Injustice for All. And it's a very different experience than watching the movies that they make now. If you right. watch a movie like The Deer Hunter and watch a modern war movie, they are not the same thing at all. Uh, part of that is they can do bigger explosions. They can do crazier things with computer graphics. Their tools have become so much more powerful that they're, they, they can wow you with a visual instead of with a, you know, three pages of expose dialogue, you know, to tell you about something. But that's just a change that's happened. It's, it's not good or bad, but it is different. And so novels naturally follow that. Like Tom DeHaven said, I, I'm writing for people who grew up on TV. When I turned in the Crystal Shard, my editor was... No, no, no. You're changing point of view all over the place. I said, you're damn right I am. And he said, no, you can't do that. I said, yes, I can do that. And he says, no, you can. And I said, why? And he said, because readers will get confused and because they won't be able to focus enough on one character. If you didn't really get into that character. And I said, were you confused? And he said, no. I said, then what are you arguing about? Well, I'm a trained <laughs> reader. And I said, that probably hurts you in this because most of the people reading this watch television and television right. is nothing but point of view shifts. You're watching friends, whether Ross say, whether Rachel say, whether Monica say, whether Phoebe say, right? If you're watching a show, all it is is point of view shifts. So the way I write, it's more like I'm the actor acting out all the parts of the different characters in my books. I would not have done this 50 years ago. But to me, it's the way people communicate now. So it makes more sense to do it that way. I don't lose people when I change point of view. They want to know what what the expression is on everybody's face. They want to know what's behind their eyes and what they're thinking when they talk. Yeah. Well, especially um, because your books tend to be buddy adventures. Yes. We're, we're not, we're not closely focused on one character per se. I mean, there are moments of course, but we're really talking about a, a band of adventurers for the most part. And 
and we really want to get that full experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, most of my books, like the Dritz books are like that, sir. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Absolutely. So that there's your difference. <laughs> well, the book that is out available everywhere today, Lulz Warrior, the third book in the Way of the Drow series, is available everywhere today. Go grab it. Go visit your local bookstore. Um, if you don't have a great local bookstore, we'll put links in the show notes where you can grab it. And uh, the audiobook is also available out everywhere yeah. today, right? Absolutely. And that is audio, Kindle, and the book are all out. Yeah. And the audio of all the Driz books are absolutely stunning. You're going to love it. It's a, it's an experience all its own. Um, Bob, if people want to, I know you, you mentioned um, doing some signings and things. If people want to know where they can connect with you online uh, for one, but also to, to get all of these, uh, the, the great merchandise that you've got and special editions and all of that. I know you've got a place where people can do that. Yeah, my wife, uh, when I did my Kickstarter for the RPG for the Demon Wars game that we did, um, my wife started an online store and she was trying to come up with a name. And I said, call it R.A. Salva store. And everybody <laughs> laughed at me for a bad dad joke. And that's what she called it. And you can go there anytime and get signed books. Um, she has she has most of the she has most any book that's in print. She's got um, amazing deals. Most more in. I would say if you're going to do that, go hardcovers, if not the paperbacks, because she can't give free shipping like Amazon can or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's AriSalvatore.com. And whenever a new book's coming out, you can go to AriSalvatore.com as well. Both sites do e-signings. Great. We'll link that up to make it easy for folks to find as well. Bob, always a pleasure to hang out. Always a pleasure when we get a new fantasy book from you. I know that you say this is the end of the road so far for Drizzt, but uh, I can't wait to see what you come up with next. I I said I think I'll be doing more. I just don't know yet. (laughs) I'm not young anymore. I got seven grandkids and an eighth grandkid coming. I've got got a really full life that I'm enjoying the heck out of. So I don't know. We'll, We'll see. We'll see. And I don't have any contracts, so the, maybe they'll have to see too. Well, I'm I'm sure that'll be changing. Uh, Bob, always a pleasure getting to hang out. Thank you so much for taking time. Always oh, great talking with you, Hank. Thanks. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the Storycraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The Storycraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.